Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Doesn't seem possible that I'm 57 years old. It's crazy, man. Um, time goes so fast. Yeah, 57. It's amazing. I was like, wow, that's crazy. I know you might have thought I was older, but I'm not. It's just the lighting in here. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, it's totally crazy. I want to um, I want to say thank you. Uh, obviously, we're very blessed to be the pastor uh, that God has called to serve here. It's crazy that that we've been here 14 years as your pastor, and um, yeah, God's amazing. And as I look back, I'm totally humbled and blessed by what God's doing and, and how much I'm different. I know this for a fact, that today, if I was candidating in 2005 at this church that was over on Broadway, they wouldn't have voted for me to come because God has changed me so much. And I'm so grateful for that change. And I know in five years I'm going to be different if God allows me to live that much longer and I have that to do for him. The transformation power of God is actively at work and I'm excited about that. I don't want to be the same. And I'm so glad that you guys have allowed us to be who God made us and you have followed him and openly followed him. And uh, there's nothing better than that in the whole wide world. I want to uh, let you know that after the service directly, we will start uh, setting up for the blessing today. So some years we've tried to do it later, and it's just been chaos for us um, right after and everything. So we're not going to do that. We're just like, hey, as soon as the service is over, we'll start. But can we just like put the blessing out of our mind for a minute and understand that God has something for us right here, right now that's going to change our lives and make us better for what he wants to do through us this afternoon. Because God has called us to touch someone's life today. He's calling you to touch at least one person's life today, and you will have that opportunity. I'm telling you right now, God will make that opportunity happen for you. And I'm excited about all that he is doing. And so as we start, I want to say a couple thank yous. I already thanked you for your gift and your love, and I watched online and I saw Heather, and I was like, okay, so somehow I got to control that tech team back there, but she's part of that, so they, she can have a mic anytime she wants, and so that's a problem for us here, like, I, um, I, yeah, I don't like leaving, so last Sunday, as you know, my wife and I, uh, Kimberly is my wife over here, um, she, yes, she's amazing, we, we went up to Scottsdale. We were praying for y'all while we were there. Uh, I was invited by Pastor Scott Stevenson to speak at their church about, uh, I don't know, three, four years ago now. I don't even remember. Um, he came to be the, this is his first lead pastor position that he's held. And he invited us as full throttle to come up. We prayed over his church, over he and his wife, over their community, the school across the street, police department. We went all around the town. It was just awesome. He's so open to what God's doing. He, he was like my son here, the one that still needs a motorcycle and a kind of like a transformation there. Uh, that's, that's Dale. He's our middle son. Um, you know, he'll come around. It just, some kids take longer. Uh, so anyway, uh, Scott is very much like Dale, you know. Uh, he's, so he's telling the church, we're going to ride on these bikes and everything. And I was like, wait a minute. You're not riding on my bike. I just want you to know, dude, I love you, but that back seat is not for you, and no other dude's getting on my bike. 
right? I don't know, you're getting there, but not with me. He was laughing, and, and so this other guy says, you can ride with me. So he jumped on the bike, and this is the reason I don't want him, well, this, we won't go to that part, but <laughs> he's up there, like, like, jumping around on the bike and taking pictures and stuff, like, doing all this, and if you ride a motorcycle, you know, you don't want that person behind you doing any of that stuff. Just sit there and follow my lead. You know, that's what you need. So it was kind of funny to watch that. So here's why I'm telling you all that. Scott is so open to God. He's, he's super proud of him. Amazing stuff. And then I watched the service with Pastor Stephen when he filled in in September for us. And I watched Pastor Cody last Sunday. And as I watched these young men of God, man, my heart is just like, God, you're awesome. I see this generation of young followers of Jesus Christ. And, and every generation, like as they get older, thinks, you know, the church is in trouble. Everything's going to die. Everything's falling apart. And I look and I'm like, man, God is after it, man. And he has got some sold-out people that are following him that are young. And guess what group they're a part of? The millennials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you hear is bad stuff about that millennial generation, right? All you older, let's just admit it. It's all, everybody's like, they, they don't have a work ethic. They can't do anything. All they do is stick their face in their phones. They're on all their social media. They don't have a life. They're in trouble. I mean, you hear all that crap. I'm just telling you, and, and the millennials probably read about it on Facebook or something, but you know what's going on, right? So here's the thing as I look at that, and I, I was watching what was happening, and I'm thinking, God, you know, it's so cool how you work because you're raising up a new generation of people that are going to be reached in a new way, and you are equipping those leaders to reach those people in the way that you've called them to reach them. And it is so awesome to see God at work. There's not a lost generation there. Look, I, I want to remind all of you that are non-millennials. All right, I'm not going to tell you how old you are. Oh, well, I'll tell you this. Millennials actually were born from 1981 to 1996. So most of y'all think millennials are teenagers. They're not. Right. All right. They're young adults. But you think it's the teenagers. And you think most of those young adults are teenagers too because you're getting old. But anyway, we'll leave that alone for a minute. Let's just hear this. Like, so God is equipping these people to reach people and God is moving. But let's, let me talk to you all about yourself. Do you think, and I'm just asking you a question. Did your parents think that your clothing, your hairstyle, and your music were just great? Yeah. You know, they didn't. They thought it was horrible. They thought you didn't know how to dress. They thought you didn't know how to take care of your hair. They thought you had piercings or stuff like that. And if you had a piercing, you were gay. I'm talking about that generation, right? Let's be honest. That's just the way it was. And it was because you were different. And they didn't like that about you because they thought you needed to be like them to be okay. And here we are looking at the male millennials saying like, look at the way they dress. Those guys wear flip-flops to work for Pete's sakes. Come on. I've had bosses complaining to me because... The guys wear flip-flops to, to work. Seriously, I mean, I'm not joking. He, he, t he actually brought pictures to me at coffee to say, look, this, are, this is the way they, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> That's your problem. You're doing all right. Just saying. But anyway, so we look at them and we think something's wrong with them. And God's saying, I love them. And I have believed for a long time and I believe it firmly. 
that there's a move of God coming in that millennial generation and the next generation after that God is stirring their hearts. And I am thrilled and excited about what God has planned. We didn't have all the answers, all of us that are non-millennials. We actually screwed a lot of stuff up. And so if we would just say, hey, God, can you fix what we've messed up and do your work? That would be pretty awesome. And then embrace them and love them. Isn't it crazy that God's called us to love people that are different than us? So way back when Kim and I moved here in 2004, uh, five, sorry, from Detroit area to, to Tucson, uh, Kim and I were the only people that owned a motorcycle in the church. We loved riding together. I've been riding mini bikes and dirt bikes since I was a kid. And I had a street bike and um, not, a, not a Harley. I rode Kawasaki's, just in case you were wondering. And, um, and go green, that's what that is. So anyway, I was riding Kawasaki's. I couldn't afford a Harley. I had kids and I was married. And I was a pastor. So, you know, <laughs> that combination didn't work out to equal Harley. Uh, anyway, um, I'm telling you that for a reason. So we rode together, loved it. It was a great time for her and I to be together. We would go out as soon as the kids were old enough to take care of themselves, like three or four. Uh, no, <laughs> kidding. All right, <laughs> totally kidding. When they were old enough to take care of themselves, you know, we would like take off on a ride around a little while and come back home. And uh, it was a great time for her and I to be together. So we came here, and no one rode bikes in the church, and we rode. Didn't know anyone in Tucson. Many of you know this, but there's a reason I'm telling you today. As we prayed, and, and God led us to start Full Throttle Ministries. Um, we asked the church if they would embrace this. I'm not undressing for you. I have a shirt on. I'm going to show you. <laughs> it's the very, it's faded and stained and stuff. Uh, we made a shirt. It doesn't even say full throttle. It says Christian Faith Fellowship with the motorcycle uh, engine and stuff. And uh, we talked to the board and the congregation and said, hey, guys, I just want, we believe God's doing something. He wants me to grow my hair out a little longer than what you're probably used to. And, um, he wants us to embrace these people that are outcasts of culture and society because when people see people in leather chaps and leather pants and, and uh, leather vests and jackets and on a bike, they avoid them. People don't make eye contact. People are intimidated. Even though there's nothing to be intimidated, they're just people. But, but we see them differently because we immediately judge them when we see their outer surface and we classify them in the outcasts, the dark, the hell's angels, the one percenters, we put them all there because they look different. So that's what was happening, and we know this. So we are part of that community, and a lot of stuff is dark. I'm not going to deny that. So as we asked God if we could do this, we talked to the church and said, let's, let's do something to change that. Kim and I had a dream and a vision of having that event where families could be there and it'd be a great environment. And so God opened that door. So we went to the church board and said, hey, we want to do a blessing. And uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We'd never done one before. We had nobody else riding bikes in the church. So we started inviting people from the community. And uh, Ross uh, and his son were two of our 12 motorcycles that showed up for our very first blessing. And as we were there, I, I want you to know that the day before, the week before, and as we were planning for that Sunday, I was scared to death. I was like, I don't even know what's going to happen. We could have like 100 bikes show up, and I'd be completely out of my mind, but we may have none. And then what is everybody going to think in the church? Is, uh, here's Kim and I. Hey, 
thank you, Jesus. God bless us, and we're driving out of the driveway. You know what I mean? So it was like this nervousness of excitement and, and all that, and her and I praying and stuff, and the church praying and embracing it, and completely, I want you to know that we were a small church then, you know, think on Sundays we had about 130 people that would come to the service at that time, and, and they were just like completely ready to embrace it. And so when the 12 bikes showed up, they were all excited, cheered us on and everything. started raining on us. We rode up the mountain. Anyway, long story short, God started something. And it's moved. And, and God has used it. And what we have seen is people's lives changed. People that have been healed. People that were broken, that came lost and hurting. The Spirit of God just came and let them know that there's life in Him. We had this couple that found each other last year at the blessing, and they're married. <clears throat> Here's why I'm telling you this, and in, in two more things about this, and there, this ties into the message that God has for us today, that over on Broadway where we used to be, it's where the Krispy Kreme and um, the other stuff there, uh, that was our church parking area. And we sold that to them to move here. But in that parking lot, one Sunday of our blessing, and I don't know which one it was, this is many years ago now, uh, a young man showed up that um, had tattoos all over his face. He was shaved, had, had horns tattooed. He had 666 tattooed on him. And he was, um, he was very um, dark and angry had the countenance of everything that you would see in darkness and he was there to be prayed over yeah when the prayer time came and he came riding towards my wife and I as we were standing there waiting and he pulled his bike up his face was just like hard there was hurt and anger inside him there was obvious there was all kinds of darkness there Church, this is the craziest thing, man. As we laid hands on him and began to pray in Jesus' name, you know the Lord says, bless those who curse you, do good to them that despitefully use you, and love your enemies as yourself, and do these things that God has asked us to do. As we began to pray over him that the Spirit of God would just touch his life and that Jesus would change him and that he would come to know who he is. As we prayed that prayer, that guy just started to melt there. That outer hardness just started to fall away and when he looked up at me at amen it was like a different guy looking at me than the beginning I don't know where he went in his life I don't know what happened to him all I know is that this this moment of time in his hurt his brokenness whatever ever happened to him God had a moment to speak love into his life where he maybe never had it before and the way that he looked, he was telling everyone, don't love me, stay away from me. But in that one brief moment, God had a chance to love him. Yeah. And today, there are people that are coming, and they may not have the tattoos. They may not have 6-6 on them, but they're broken. They're wounded. They're hurting. They're needing. And they don't even know what they need. And God is providing an opportunity for me and you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go up to someone you don't know that looks different than you, that may look strange to you, that may scare you, 
and just say hello, and we are glad you're here. Man, love those people. Jesus loves them. He loves you. (laughs) Someone loved you, and his name is Jesus. And man, we have this incredible opportunity to do this, and I'm like so excited because God is bringing a mission field to our very hands and feet. So respectfully, I say to you, today's event is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about motorcycles. It's about Jesus. This is a tool and an opportunity for people that don't know Christ to come to know him. I was asked if we've advertised on Caleb and on uh, Four Tucson. And I was like, no, I'm not trying to reach Christians. We're not here to like invite other Christians to a motorcycle event. We want people to come here so that we can let them know who Jesus is in their life and that there's a place if they ride a bike that they're welcome to be a part of and they can serve God and ride a motorcycle because a lot of people don't know you can. Seriously, they don't. There's a lot of people that think you can't. I want you to know you can if your wife says it's okay. <laughs> you can. <laughs> it's fun. It's amazing. You experience life to the full when you get on a motorcycle. I, I believe it's in us. Like uh, all of you, like if you have little children or grandchildren, you watch them when they hear a motorcycle. Watch any kid. And they are immediately taken to wherever that sound's coming from. I watch them everywhere I go on my bike. I love seeing little kids because every one of them are walking. They'll just like stop and watch. And I always wave at them and smile. And it's like, that is like the coolest thing. And so I know it's part of who we are. And God made us that way, just so you know. Because it's in every kid. And they're innocent and perfect. And so they love motorcycles. I'm just saying. All right. Enough of that. Let's see what God's saying to us today as we consider the opportunity that we have to serve him by serving others. This incredible, incredible God has given us this this amazing opportunity today to know him. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read the scriptures that Pastor Cody read to you last Sunday. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. God is so amazing, isn't he? So we read these scriptures to you. I did watch the service. I listened to them. An anointed by God service. Cody, Stephen, uh, Scott, just cool stuff that God's doing. And as I watched the service and watched the Spirit of God fill that young man as he was speaking to you, God began to show me things, and it's like, it, God, you can't plan stuff, you know, like this. It's God. 
So we've been reading you verses for a little while now and referencing them. Remember how I've been telling us and we've been looking in God's word saying, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, right? Do you know those are the verses that immediately follow this section called the Beatitudes? Immediately, right? Okay, so let's put this in context for just a moment and look at what God is saying. Jesus is bringing this to a point here and he's saying, if you're my followers, this is the way you live. I don't know if you noticed, but when we read the Beatitudes, it never said anything about us talking about stuff. It was all about living. Blessed are you if you'll do these things, if you act this way, if you have this and you act like this, you do this, right? Everything Jesus is talking about is life action. And this is what he brings it down to as we get going, church. Check it out. He's like, all right, so if you live like this, you're going to be like a light. You're going to be a city set on a hill that everyone sees. You're going to be like salt on the earth that is influencing and seasoning everything. When you live like this, blessed are you when you live this way. Because when you do this, everyone's going to see you. And when they see you, what does he tell us at the end of that? It'll bring glory to the Father. Man, church, he's saying live the Christian life. And when you do, everyone's going to know it. They're going to see it and they're going to know it's God because they know you and you can't live that way. That's what he's telling us, right? So when we live like this, we stand out in a crowd. When we live like this, we will be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. When we live like this, that's what being a Christian really is. That's what being born again is. That's a Christ follower, a disciple, whatever name you want to put on it, that's what it is. It's being a light in the darkness. But today we're hypersensitive about everything, right? I mean, we know this. Everybody is ready to defend everything, attack everything. I mean, we, we've called it political correctness. But the reality is this sin has been a part of humanity since the Garden of Eden. And we are hypersensitive about everything, ready to attack or counterattack. We don't want anybody saying anything different to us. We want to guard ourselves. And we do it in the church. So anybody that thinks anything different than us, we're going to go after them. Look, all you got to do is go on Facebook, which most of y'all, by the way, all you older generation... The millennials have given you Facebook because you took it over and they didn't want to be a part of your community. So they do other stuff. All right, but anyway, all you got to do is go on Facebook. I know that was a revelation to some of you. Just relax and just stay with me, all right? Uh, all right, let's stay right here. Here's what's going on. If you go on Facebook pretty soon, you're going to find verbal wars and attacks, counterattacks, my defenses, who I am, who you need to be. And I'm talking about Christian people here. I'm not talking about the world. So let me just help us all to understand the beatitude life. By the way, Jesus preaching this message in chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest one setting of message that we have of Jesus. And it didn't take 25 minutes, I'm just saying. That's what I was given last Sunday, in case you didn't know that, when I was at that church. So, <laughs> that isn't happening here. All right, so, 
Here's what he says to us. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets are persecuted in the same way. So here you go, church. I'm just curious. How many of you have been mocked, persecuted, lied about, talked about behind your back? All right. How many of you have had that happen because you follow Jesus? That's the reason. And the only reason that should be happening is because you're a follower of Christ. Here's the question now. How many of you would ever think to put a like on a statement that someone is making about you that is negative and derogatory? How about that little emoji with the little hard eyes when they tell you you suck? I love you. I want you to, but just don't do it out of sarcasm or smack talk. Do it in love. Jesus said, be happy about it. Actually, be very glad. Why? Why would he say be happy and very glad when people are talking about you, lying about you, backstabbing you, persecuting you? Why? Because he says, look, I know you're following me, and the reason they don't like you is because you're following me, and I've got you, and I know what's happening, and I'm going to take care of you. Therefore, church, it's really not about us. The attacks come because of Jesus. Culture hates Jesus. Because sin dictates culture. Therefore, when the culture that you are in opposes you, it ought to be because you're a follower of Christ and you're not doing it to be spiteful, but you're doing it lovingly and just celebrating the fact that people don't like you because you follow Jesus. Okay. When you're a Christian, these things should be happening. Before you're a Christian, they happen. Right? Now they are happening for a different reason, I hope. Because people are talking about you because you are not who you say you are. You're what's wrong with the church today. So... The hypocrisy that exists in the church exists because we're not followers of Christ. We're religious people. And we need to be the light in the world that is living the truth of what Jesus is preaching and speaking about his followers. And we ought to be seen in every circumstance in every place as light and salt at work at the stores, school, my home, everywhere I go. See, the thing about it is, is that sin is self-seeking. And when we're in Christ, it's all about Jesus. And as we read in the scriptures, it challenges us regularly about the fact that we are not to be self-seeking, but Christ-glorifying, God-honoring people. 
And so when we protect ourselves or we attack other people or we try and stand for ourselves in an offensive way, I don't mean that offensive to offend people, I mean offensive like I'm going after you, we create issues for God and for Christ and for the church that shouldn't be there. We're supposed to be reaching people with the good news of the gospel through love. All right? So, when, uh, when we translate, well, not we, but when they, those uh, blessed people of our history, translated the Bible from uh, Greek and Hebrew, and they brought it from the Latin and the later translations into the English language in 1611, uh, they translated the Bible into our English language for the first time in 1611. Now, some of you were raised in churches where it said the King James Bible is the only Bible. And I just want you to know you were mistaught because the King James Bible that we have today that says thee and thou and all those things that are hard to read is not even the original translation. The original translation is called the 1611 translation, and you cannot read it. Seriously, it's like reading a foreign language when you read that King's English that they translated into. And now they have 1611 King James versions because some of the people smartened up and realized, oh, we don't have the original, so we want the original, but they actually translated it again and called it the 1611. We're stupid in the church, aren't we? I mean, it's like, Lord help us, man. Here's the deal. I just want you to know, language changes. I'm not saying embrace any translation. That's not what I'm telling you. But language changes. Words mean different things. I mean, can you imagine them trying to change something into gigabyte? (laughs) <laughs> from Hebrew into English, right? That word may in the future appear in, in a Bible translation. It may, because of its meaning and what the message of the God's word is trying to say to us. You follow me? Please stay with me. Church, what I'm saying is God's word has, has power and truth in it, and we need to know what it says to us in our language. And so I love the fact that it's in English, I'm glad I don't have to translate it from another language and tell you what it means. Man, you guys would be in trouble. (laughs) Here it is from God's Word. But when you translate it from an old language or a different language into a new language, there are issues and there are struggles for us. So let me give you one of them. Love. Most of you have been around the church. You already know this. Love is one of the hardest things for us in the English language to get because many languages have a different word for love and different words for the different meanings of love. So even in our history of our country, you know, the city of Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love, right? That comes from the Greek, phileo, which is a word for love. But it is a specific love, brotherly love. So I love you guys. That's phileo, brotherly love. But if I say to my wife, I love you, um, it shouldn't be brotherly love, (laughs) right? It's different. There is a different love that I speak about my wife than I speak to any of you. When I tell you I love my motorcycle, it's not the same love that I would speak to my wife. And it better not be. All right? Just want to help all you guys out there. All right? That motorcycle was a gift, by the way. I didn't buy that. That was given to me. But we'll talk about that at a different time. So uh, for the ministry that we do, that's a gift from God. so beautiful. It still puts a tear in my heart and joy in my heart, too. So anyway, uh, I don't want to get lost, and I almost lost it there. Love. (laughs) You love your dog. You love the church. You love the weather. Like, you hear me? Isn't that kind of crazy that we do that? 
So when they're translating God's word in, to us in the English language, we've, we really struggle with love. Besides that, as a culture and as a people, we don't know and understand love. We've misused it, lost it, don't understand it. We think love has something to do with sex, and we think it has to do with, you know, emotions. Guess what? Love is not an emotion. But we've been told it is. We've been told love is a feeling. It's not. And so when we look into the Word of God and we're starting to try and figure this out, we're looking at this love thing. I want, I want you to see this. See, when the 1611, when they translated that scripture into the English language, they actually did a really good thing in 1 Corinthians 13. What they did is they translated the word love into the word charity. And the reason they used the word charity was not so that we wouldn't understand that God's talking about love, but so that we could identify the kind of love he was talking about. And the best way for us to understand agape love, which is the actual re Greek word, is charity. Because what we understand in the English language charity is, is I'm going to provide something for you you can't provide for yourself. I'm going to meet your need. And I'm doing that because I care about where you are and what you need. Right? That's charity. So now when we get that idea in our mind and we begin to read 1 Corinthians 13... We begin to understand something about what God is telling us about love, which goes back to the Beatitudes being salt and light. Here's what it says to us. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels, but didn't have love for others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but, whenever, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, when we read that context of that scripture, we place that into what God is telling us about this and what it means. This helps us to begin to understand what it means to live the Christian life and what exactly God is asking of us. And the reason that we are seen as followers of Jesus. Because what he's addressing right here, church, is you can do a whole lot of spiritual stuff. You can function in a way that followers of Christ should function. But if this love does not exist in you, all that function means nothing. All your religion means nothing. If love is not present and the driving force behind it, it's empty, worthless, meaningless behavior. That's crazy. So when we look at what he's telling us, let's go back to what John wrote to us that we read a few weeks ago. First John 4, this is him writing to the church. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who is not loved does not know God, for... 
God is love. That's why I told you it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's not sex. It's none of those things that we've been led to believe it is because God is love. He's not an emotion. He's not a feeling. He's not a sexual person. He is God and He is love. And therefore, when I read the Word of God, He says, you cannot function in any capacity to be a Christian unless you're functioning in love. Hello? Therefore, you can't do it unless it's God doing it. So all that you do, if it's not based in who God is and His power and His source of love of who He is, doesn't matter what you've done. We can pray over 10,000 people today. We can give away all kinds of popcorn and cotton candy and hot dogs and water and chips and we can do all kinds of stuff. It means nothing if there is not the love of God in the midst of all of it, touching lives, letting God be seen in it all, selflessness of self, presence of God. Therefore, without God, we cannot love. And when we realize that, church, we understand that the only way for me to love is to be filled by the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And if I am not filled by the Holy Spirit, I cannot love. And it tells me right here in the Word of God that, guess what? I can do spiritual things if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing, remember? So that means I can do stuff. I can say things. I can behave certain ways. But I can do all that without God. And then it's meaningless. And if the Spirit of God is what does this and it's not self, church, we need the Spirit of God to reignite real, true love in our hearts. By the presence of God being in us, people will see us and we will look different than the world because it is God. Salt and light, church, in a dark and empty society. That's our call. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God representing that. Isn't that awesome? Not about me. It's all about Jesus. And he said he loved me. He agape me. He self-sacrificed all for my good. He met my need that I could not meet on my own. He did everything for me. God loved me. Therefore, I no longer live. It is now Christ who lives in me. Oh, that is some beautiful stuff, man. When we see our Savior Jesus, look what he did. Everything he did was for us, not himself. Everything. This is why when we read in Romans 8, I want you to hear this again for the 50th time and probably the next 50. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Self. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Do you? Who's in charge? If you are, you're in trouble. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. I don't even know how people can 
like argue this. It's like so in your face right here in Romans 8 saying like, look, man, it's either you or him. Who's running the show? Who's in charge? So here's we find the key to living the teaching and the Beatitudes that he is teaching his followers, us. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit of God living in you. The presence of love is what is now in control. You can't live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit within you. You cannot love without the Holy Spirit being in you. You cannot live as salt and light without the Holy Spirit being in you. The only way the Holy Spirit can be in you is if you trust, surrender, and obey Him, which is all about Him and love. Romans 8, verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Pause. But what they said about me was not right. But if they just knew, if I told them this, they'd understand. But they're wrong. They're attacking me. I have to defend myself. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to try and fix everything out there. They already think it anyway. And you can't change that. You live for the glory of God, the light of Jesus being shining through you. People aren't going to like you. They're going to talk about you. And you can't fix it. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you're going to die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Pretty straight up, huh? God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, be happy about it, be very glad. The sinful nature wants you to justify yourself, to protect yourself, to attack the attacker. The Holy Spirit says it's not about you, it's really all about Jesus, right? I love it. See how a kid doesn't care. They're just going to be themselves, whether you want them to be or not. That's the way God wants us to be, only not in rebellious, but he wants us to love him like that loudly, to be who he wants us to be. So I look at this and I'm like, yeah, man, like the sinful nature wants to do all kinds of stuff. But I want us to understand it's not a personal attack that comes against us. It's a spiritual attack. When you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, the light stays on. Salt is sprinkled evenly and correctly. When you live a Christian life, you'll naturally, lovingly be countercultural. But church, when you don't, it's all about self. The Christian life is not a go with the flow. Everything today is about self. Everything is. Everything's about self. And, and it's, it's like this message, but I want you to know it's nothing new. It's the exact same thing that started way back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And the very first family was dysfunctional when sin entered the world. And that dysfunction that came into that family, church, I want you to hear me, it's the craziest thing in the world. When Adam and Eve decided they were going to do it their way instead of God's way, sin entered in itself, my way, not God's way. 
And when that happened, sin was born into their lives, and it affected their kids. And you know, we've talked about it, you've read your Bible, their son killed their other son. Like, sin is just destructive. The very first family, think about this. I mean, he murdered his brother. Do you know why he murdered his brother? Do you, do you remember the story? Just, just think for just a minute. I want you to know it was jealousy was involved, but really what it was, was it, was, it was, believe it or not, about worship. It was about worship. It was about religious practice. Think about it for just a minute. Here's Cain, and he offers a sacrifice to God, and God wouldn't accept it from him because God knew his heart. And he did not accept Cain's sacrifice. And here's Abel. Abel sacrifices, and God accepted it. And God was pleased with his sacrifice. Guess what? Self was like, oh yeah? Oh yeah? This isn't right for me. I'm going to kill you. The very first murder happened over worship and religious practice. But the root of it all was self and sin and being accepted. Cain did not even look to change and to find what God was looking for. Instead, what he did is he tried to justify himself by rejecting the one that God had accepted. Church, he tells us, Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, look, this stuff's going to happen. Rejoice when it does. Be glad that you've been accepted by God and people aren't going to like you because you are. They're going to talk about you because you are. They're going to despitefully use you because you are. He says, look up, man. It's all about me and I know what's going on and I've got you. I know who you are and I love you. Love me? They're not going to love you. That's not what it's all about. It's that they don't like Jesus. Our culture is sin. And it hates Jesus. So when you're a follower of Jesus, you are counterculturally, naturally. Naturally. You don't have to post it. You don't have to tell them where. You need to live it. And when you live it, they'll see it and they'll know it's Jesus in you. That doesn't mean they're going to love you. But God does. Therefore, I can be glad and rejoice because my God loves me. And that's what matters. The Christian life is not a go-with-the-flow life. It actually goes against everything out there because it's not about self. All about Jesus. Church, here's the simple definition of what's going on. Sin equals self. Christianity equals God. My life equals love because it's the very presence of God and the world should see it in me. So I have some action steps for you, believe it or not. It's only 19 after. You're welcome. When is the last time you were happy and rejoiced because someone made fun of you, talked about you, stabbed you in the back because you were a Christian? 
When's the last time you were happy and rejoiced about that? All right, has anybody had any problems this week of people like messing with them? Can you just rejoice with the Lord right now? Let's do it. That's what he tells us to do. Be glad. Be glad when they're screwing you over. Be happy. Rejoice. As long as it's because of Jesus. Okay? I mean, I don't know. I just thought for a moment there that we maybe have a little time of happiness and praise to God for that. Yeah? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that people saw Jesus in me and didn't like it. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. It is. Did they see him in you? Do people know you're a Christian? I'm going to ask that again because there was about 10 of you. (laughs) Do people know you're a Christian? How do they know? (laughs) By your love. Yeah. So when they're talking about you, the Bible talks about this, right? The Bible teaches us, and we've read these verses, and I don't have the place for you. You can look it up. And this is Dave's paraphrase, not a translation. But it says this to us. Live in such a way that when they're talking about you, that your life proves them to be the liar. So that your God in heaven, your Father, is glorified in your life. So I'm going to... It's 21 after now. Um... I'm going to share something with you right here because it's been in my heart and I've been like pushing it and I'm just going to. Early, early, early in my Christian walk with God, I, uh, we had this like horrendous thing took place. Um, and it was with my father and myself. And it was really bad. And uh, it was all about, you know, I was doing what God asked me to do, and my father was in a bad place at that time, so I'm not going to get into details. But, you know, like, it impacted our community. Uh, People knew my father was the pastor of the church. The church had a longstanding reputation in the community. Um, Not all good. I'm just saying it had one. And so what happened in this moment of our lives um, went into the community. And it was spread through not only the community, but church people gossip. And that's a sin, by the way. And so, like, what happened, like, people were telling stories and talking about things, and it was going all around. And it shouldn't have been happening. And I was following the Lord, and I was doing exactly what God asked me to do, but it didn't get received right, and things, like, went way bad. And my heart was broken, (laughs) and I was, like, distraught. And I lived in that community, and everybody knew me. And they knew I had changed and that I was following Christ. And so my heart was like, i got to fix this. And I kept trying to talk to people. And tell people the real story. And trying to correct it. And I was going everywhere. Everyone I would meet, I could see them looking at me. I don't know that they were rightly. But you know how you feel. 
like everybody's looking at you like and it wasn't that and my heart was heavy (laughs) and I was like broken man and I was like God what in the world man you asked me to do this here I knelt in the backyard of our church in February and the ground was frozen I was all alone it was after an evening service at the church my heart was like physically hurting and I was weeping before God and I was like God if I didn't hear you right please tell me I will repent I'll make it right I'll fix whatever I'll do anything you want me to do I'm all yours I don't care about this stuff like literally God said Dave be quiet quiet and I sat there and the Lord began to just speak into my heart and he said when Jesus was led before his accusers he said he opened not his mouth and when he opened not his mouth you read the gospel it says the accusers contradicted each other and they could not come to a truth Dave shut up follow me that's what God told me follow me in that moment of my life church I want you to know this there was something that had changed in me forever it was in that moment right there that I recognized that I have one person to please in my life I have one person to serve in my life I have one reason to live there is the affirmation and the approval of God and that is all that matters and when I stood up from the ground on that day February evening from that ice cold Michigan dirt my heart still hurt (laughs) but my mouth was silent I never spoke another word about that to another person I surrendered it to God and I continued to pursue exactly what he had told me to do in the first place and the amazing God that we have just began to work and smooth stuff out until five years later my own dad got his heart right with God and I mean that and he became a different man than the one I grew up with and when I look back on that moment in my life and I'm saying God if if I'd have wavered if I'd have continued to talk that may have never happened for my dad I don't know where I'd be today because it's not about me. Church, I want you to hear me. It is not about me. It is all about Him. And when I obey Him and I live where He wants me to live and the way He wants me to live, people are going to talk about you. They're going to talk behind your back. They're going to say things. It does not matter. What matters is when God knows that you're living and doing and living in full obedience to what He's asked you to do, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Today, people are talking about us because we have motorcycles in the church. They are. I'm serious. Like, people talk about me because I, don't, I need a haircut. Yes. People talk about me because of whatever, right? People talk about you. Is it because you're living in obedience to Jesus, or are you giving them reason? It's all about him. It's time, church. 
Stand with me. The altar's open. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you and convicting you about something, you need to give it to him. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. If you've been living religiously and not spiritually, come to the Holy Spirit and let him fill you so that you can live in fullness of his love. Church, it's, it's, this is what it's all about. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine for the glory of the Father. Rejoice, man. God is good. God is good, and he knows. He's so amazing. He loves us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to come to you. Thank you that you're a life-changing God. Thank you, God, that you are calling us into this incredible relationship with you. Lord, help us to be a light, to remember that you loved the sinner and spoke lovingly, harshly to the religious. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that love would begin to just flow through your body right here. God, as we embark on the remaining portion of this day, oh God, let this place flow with your love. We love you, God. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, church. God is so good. We love you. Thank you so much. He's amazing.